Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about five ways to plan ahead for spring 2020. In our spotlight, we're going to look at food waste. Egg History Minute, we'll talk a little bit about hybrid seeds. Cool beans, or that's corny for today, is the farm bill and the coronavirus. Uh, I think I had that once, but if you put the lime in, it's better. Coronavirus. <clears throat> and uh, you applied what? We've got some chemicals for you, and if we get time, we'll go out to our outstanding in our field reporter. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Todd Schomburg. Hey, everybody. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. All right. So I don't know if you guys saw this in the news, but Hardee's now has a Beyond Breakfast sandwich. So Beyond Sausage. Does that mean it's really good and it's just Beyond Delicious? or uh, If you're vegan, I guess, maybe. Mm-hmm. Is it like the Impossible Whopper where it has more calories than the regular Whopper? Probably. Yeah. Uh, I know the Beyond Burger is the non-GMO one, so... I'm assuming the Beyond Sausage is the same, whereas Impossible has the GMO. So I have other breakfast sandwich news that semi-relates. Um, McDonald's now has a chicken biscuit breakfast sandwich, and my dreams are finally coming true. So it has nothing to do with GMOs or, or, meatless. or no, meatless. This no. is just chicken and breakfast. I was driving home last night at like 9.30, and I saw a sign for it, and I was like, Man, that sounds really good. I almost pulled in and stopped, but it's not on the all-day menu, from what I understand. I say if it's new, it's probably a, only a morning thing. But it's obviously a market, gentlemen. Right? They're they're having a market. People are buying it. Yep. So we'll see what happens. Well, even though it's not that cold outside for January, um, we've been having somewhat milder weather. But last week. Uh, I know as we were coming home from NAICC, it was a little bit rough weather when we got back to Wisconsin. I was just glad the plane landed. Yeah. That we could take off and we didn't have to sit. And not that Nashville's a terrible city, but. Oh, no, I had to spend an extra night in Nashville. That was, <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah, I, it was worth the, what, 10, 15 minute wait for them to plow the runway. I felt that was probably a good decision on yeah. the, the airport's part, so. Yeah, they circled what twice with the plane. Then we then we came down and driving back it was was not great. It was pretty thick snow and just real wet. Yeah, the further north we got, the worse it seemed to get. Did you so. guys get home Friday night or Saturday morning? Both. Friday. Yes, both. Yeah. Oh, you got home that late? Yeah. Three a.m. Because yeah. I got to bed at three. Yeah. When I got when I left Saturday morning, I left the house at like five thirty six o'clock. There was way more snow than what they... Yeah. They were like, oh, we're going to get a dusting overnight. And I had four inches. Right. And it was thick and... yeah. Maybe that's heavy. the way this is going. Like, when they predict the big one, we get a dusting. And when they predict the dusting, we get a big one. The big one. Yeah. I'll, I didn't... I wasn't paying attention when we were circling. I was knee-deep in my Fast and the Furious movie, which I recommend any flyer to get on your iPad, the airtime app, and... Watch a free movie. That's if you're flying Southwest. Southwest. Which yeah. which Fast and Furious? Um, it was the new one, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Oh. I only got like a, I don't know, quarter of the way through. So how long is the flight from Nashville to Milwaukee? Hour and a half. But I was halfway through a different movie. So. Oh, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Which I do recommend. Game night. Fun movie. That was okay. A, yep, that was a good movie too. Random thoughts here, but. 
Random thoughts with Bill. Advice from a professional traveler. Really, that's what we should call it. Not professional traveler by any means. All right. Well, let's get into it. So five ways to plan ahead for spring 2020. Obviously, the last spring is still a sore taste in our mouth. And uh, so thought maybe it'd be good to just talk about ways you can maybe get ahead this year a little bit. And so first one I had was talk to your seed dealer about supply of lower maturities when seed is delivered. So don't wait until May 30th when you're like, oh, crap, I need to plant something less than what I bought. What do you got for supply? Um, Go ahead and maybe bring that up. Just say, hey, how's supply going? What do you got? And talk with your agronomist about which varieties may be better. Because lower maturity doesn't always mean better quality um, or even good quality. It's always important to keep an eye on those varieties as you're planting, when you're, especially when you're changing on the fly like that. Do you mean quality or you're saying as good of a variety itself? So Yeah, as good of a variety, I right. should say. Yeah. That makes sense. So if, you, if they want you to change down, a lot of times they'll find just whatever they got, and that's not always a good thing. You, you want to be able to change down to a, just an equivalent variety at least. I think the other thing to think about when it comes to seed is try to get it in your possession this year. With the bad weather we had, maybe seed production wasn't as good last year. And obviously once it's on your farm, uh, most dealers aren't going to show up and probably take it. I don't think there's any seed wranglers out there like cattle wranglers. So I know a lot of farms don't like to take delivery because it's in their way and maybe they don't have the space. But maybe this is the year to clean out that back corner of the shop with that old rusty whatever piece of equipment you've been hanging on to um, and get delivery of that seed. Yeah, no, I, it's it's worth thinking about and maybe worth the hassle to have the seed there. And at least if you do get a small window early, you can start getting some, some stuff in instead of waiting for that seed to get delivered. So good point, Bill. Uh, number two, start planning now for what will go into alfalfa and wheat fields if there is winter kill. So if you've got fields out there, we've had, I've got some farms that are looking at going into their sixth year straight of having winter kill. <laughs> so um, start thinking about, okay, am I going to go to corn? Uh, what acres am I going to swap around if I don't need that much corn? You know, we'll think about what, what you're going to do in that situation. So you have a plan. So when it does happen, if it happens, you're ready. Are you guys looking more at the winter kill being on the new seeding hay fields that had poor establishment last fall or the old hay fields that, like, what what do you think is going to be, you know, it seems like every year the winter kill is a different kind of, you know, it's the young fields or the old fields or stuff in the middle. What do you think it's going to be this year? Yes. Yes. That's kind of what I thought. I I think the stuff that got seeded, like, last fall on prevent plant ground might be like a 50-50 because the stuff that were ponded because it kept raining, that's probably just dead from drownouts. And maybe the other parts of the fields that didn't, the water sit, maybe that's pretty good. I'm hopeful that the stuff we seeded last spring will be good. Um, hopeful. But I'm thinking that anything that was seeded before that, especially in a heavier soil, like any clay ground or just poorly drained, I'm really not very excited about the survival of that that's maybe two, three, four years old. Um, that's kind of where I'm thinking. And I actually, Matt did have a conversation with the <coughs> grower at a planning session 
a couple of weeks ago about um, let's uh, plan in case it's not a large grower. They got one alfalfa field, but to them it was it's a big change. So we actually had two plans: one if the hay made it, and one if the hay didn't. So obviously, on a huge grower, that's might not be very easy, but this case it was. Yeah, and with wheat, you know, if you you did get some fall fertilizer on and you did get wheat in, um, two small miracles right there in themselves for last fall. Um, just, yeah, keep that in mind, too, as you're changing crops. Like, what, what's gone out? Is it still there? And if it is, you know, account for that when you're you're growing your next crop. So, I, I think wheat this year, I, I don't, I, to me, um, we're going to be short on forage. I think we're going to end up taking winter wheat as a forage. I think that's a pretty good option this coming year if there's a big winter kill again. I know you did some of that last year, Todd, right? Yeah, it took a little bit as forage where they were kind of those poor wheat fields anyway, and we weren't going to keep it for grain. Um, and it worked okay just because especially that the way the year played out was that it was hard to get anything in. So on a normal year, that would have been kind of a disaster. But on a year where it was just so tough anyway, it worked quite good. So I I would maybe look at interceding something in with that wheat, mm-hmm. though throwing something else in there, even, you know, whatever other small grain, just to kind of fill it out, um, get a little bit more forage in there. And then even with these alfalfa fields, too, some of them that are winter-killed, we could throw in tall fescue or Italian ryegrass to just squeeze out one or two more years out of them because we're going to need some hay as well going going forward. So. I was talking to a guy yesterday that runs a feed mill, and I just asked him about hay prices and and uh, winter wheat straw or wheat straw prices, and obviously his answer was both are really high. And he said, like, wheat, if you don't have it already, you're probably not going to get it if you don't have a relationship built. Um, so I'm wondering, too, if some of these wheat fields that are really questionable, if guys are going to keep them just because wheat straw is so, um, you know, so low. It sounds like he said that Canada had a good fall and did get some in, so that should help a little bit. But obviously that's not till summer before we see that that's not going to help us this spring all right number three identify and this pertains more to dairy farms fields that may be ready for manure application earlier in the spring so a lot of farms i think went into fall um, got as much out as they could some are still trying to get manure out this winter and uh, so identifying fields that might be ready earlier in the spring you know your higher dryer where can you go so if you do get a window, then you can go and get some out, uh, kind of help that pit level a little bit. Have that conversation with your applicator too, right? Have your custom applicator or maybe your do-yourself, but have that app, that talk with that person and say, hey, I'm going to be ready here. If the ground is ready and the calendar says so, make sure they're ready too and on their way. Yeah, that's a good point, Bill. And <clears throat> hopefully, if you're if you're in a higher dryer spot on a couple fields, you can get your applicator there. They, I think it's still going to be a busy spring for those guys, so getting them on the farm might be um, a difficult thing to do. Um, but if you if you can haul it yourself, if it's something you can go tankers and maybe just rent a tanker and do it, that might be an option as well, just to to ease that pit load a little bit. <clears throat> All right, number four, prioritize fertilizer needs for critical crops. So will you be planting more silage, alternative forage if you're feeding? 
Um, you're looking to do more grain corn, more soybeans this year. So uh, as budgets are getting tighter, um, you know, things are hopefully going to improve this year, but it's still going to take time. Um, prioritize that fertilizer on, on what you think is going to be your, your moneymaker and, and hopefully, um, you know, spend that money wisely as you're looking uh, across your, your crop plan. Maybe think, too, on those, we were just talking about those poor alfalfa stands. Maybe those aren't the ones you spend the money on until you know they're going to make it. You know, don't don't wing it out there when it's still frost and frozen yet, even if the co-op wants you to. Maybe wait until we know those fields are going to make it. And even how many years have we done that on winter wheat? Throw nitrogen out in March when the snow is gone and it's still frozen. And then we get to April and we're like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. This might be the year to just be patient and find that window when you can, when but when you know that that's going to survive. Yep, and number five kind of coincides with that. Um, I hope you're always doing this, but make sure you run the financials on your crops um, and your operation in general, and that way you'll know if you need to get creative with making things pencil out. Um, what can you afford to spend? Where where should you spend? You know, all those things. Uh, first step is always just running the financials of the farm. Know your operating costs. Know your your cost per acre. So. Had a conversation yesterday with a grower. Um, we were talking about making sure we had enough acreage for alfalfa and enough acreage for corn silage. And we're kind of at that point of not quite enough for both. We're picking up some new land. Which way should we go with the new land? And he said, um, I can be really flexible with the amount of haylage in my rotation. And I'm not going to play nutritionist here. But his words, I can be more flexible with eight pounds up to 14 pounds of alfalfa he said i can't be with corn silage so in running the numbers and just inventories and that he says the new land has to go to corn because financially he can find ways to make alfalfa be flexible with other options or maybe neighbors with alfalfa or poor stands that they just want to get a cutting off of but corn is he said is tough so just to relate that kind of financially there yeah, no, and I mean, you can always patch, you know, grass or, you know, find something maybe a little cheaper than alfalfa seed to to throw in with it to kind of make that forage work and still save a little bit of money. So, yeah, no, I think that's... It always seems like the old timers out there have, oh, I got 40 acres I want to sell, right? So, but they're not going to maybe, especially if we get a good summer, people aren't going to want to sell corn because they're going to want to combine it and send it to the market. Yep. But hay is, seems to always be something... Yeah, as we, we've seen even, you know, it seems like we get maybe a year or two of a boom crop where you can't get rid of it and then just wait another year and it'll be right back in the toilet again. Um, you know, it'll be guys will be emptying out barns and trying to find anything they can to feed. So, all right. Anything else you guys had on that? I just thought good. W- it's always good to be thinking ahead and these are five things you can do now in the winter to start the ball rolling even though it is only january so all right <clears throat> move into our spotlight for today so for today we're going to talk about food waste uh, it's something that i think we all know about and think about but doesn't get as much attention as you know by what's the magic number by 2050 
we have to feed 9 billion people or 10 billion or whatever number. Um, how are we going to do that with less crop acres? And I think part of that um, that gets left on the side is is the food waste issue. I mean, there is a lot of waste that, you know, maybe can help curb that as well. Um, so I found an article on AgWeb, and they estimated between farmers and consumers lose $15 billion to food waste every year. So it's a big number. It's huge. That's a huge number. I always think about that when I go to these buffets, right? Like, I don't know if it's old country buffet out there anymore. Or, Golden um, Corral. Golden Corral. Like, you go there at night. Like, we went with the kids one night at, like, 730, you know, and it's like, holy man, there's still a lot of food on this buffet. How much of that just gets pitched? We used to get pig feed from a, a local restaurant, and it would be five-gallon pails full of just, like, perfectly normal. Like, it was not expired. It was just they made 24 pounds of spaghetti, and they used 21. I mean, it, you you could eat it. You could stick your hand in there, pull out whatever you want, you know, donut here or there, Right. And they they paid us to take it, because like, they didn't have. Then they didn't have to pay, you know, to have an extra dumpster for food, and they didn't have to, because you have to track food waste at times with DNR even. So all that kind of stuff, you know. That's a lot of money, though. Fifteen billion. Yeah. Wow. And that that's through the whole food cycle. So it's, you know, farmers all the way to consumers. So that counts our that counts our silage pile waste that we yep. are spreading and our refusals. Yeah, and there is some benefit, like you just mentioned there, you know, silage waste, we, we usually land spread that back onto the fields. So you're, you're putting it back in the system, but, you know, you still got to pay to haul it. You paid to chop it. Didn't get to feed it, so you still got to feed. Um, so, yeah, there is definitely some cost there. And uh, they estimated <clears throat> on the consumer side of things that the average family of four spends about 1800 bucks. Uh, per year on food that's wasted. So, I believe it. There's enough stuff in my fridge that it gets tossed because it gets pushed to the back, or you just don't get to that leftovers for the third time that's still hanging around. And my wife has a one week rule. I don't know if your wives have any. <laughs> yeah, no, or, uh, Todd or, lady, or girlfriends, or fiancés have any week rule. My wife has a one week rule. Todd and I were talking about that the other day, and yeah, it's the way my wife is too. It's like it's older than a week. It's got to be bad, and. You know, it makes some sense for some things if it's got something like, you know, excuse me, sour cream or something where that potentially could go bad in a in a dish. I c- it makes sense, but I think there's some things that are probably all right after a week too. And Todd will eat anything, so yeah, I will. I will eat anything, even past the week. Black beans not advisable to go past the week, though. We had a stinky fridge one day, and we we're like, yeah, those what? are those what? are quick to go into mold. Yeah, I was like, like what is going on? And Little bit of black beans in a Tupperware container, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Bad. If you guys don't eat any fruits or vegetables, they tend you tend to have food that lasts longer. Just just putting it out yeah. there. <laughs> no no legumes either. No legumes. Brussels sprouts or not Brussels sprouts. Alfalfa sprouts. That's what I'm looking for. Alfalfa sprouts. So yeah, it's just another <clears throat> another way. You know, they had some suggestions in here. I don't know how how good these suggestions were. Uh, harvest crops at the right time. I think we're already are trying to do that, uh, but the weather doesn't really cooperate. <clears throat> they also said use reliable weather data. Where does that come from? Uh, Bill, you know. Bill's house. <laughs> hey, I got a good weather station. 
So, um, but one thing I think that did make sense in here is that strengthen connections with retailers when marketing fresh food. And I think that's probably a good suggestion. Um, you know, trying to project is always the hard part, I think, for grocery stores and other, other places that sell fresh produce. Um, you know, it comes in and, you know, you look at it and if it looks off, people aren't going to buy it. You know, it may still be fine, but, you know, looks are a lot of... Huge. Yeah. Uh, how people's grocery shops. So. I'm guilty. That apple's got a little nick or something on it. It's like, well, there's a better one next to it. So yeah, trying to find ways to keep it looking good in transport so that it, you know, gets sold right away and isn't left to rot. You know what I've I found out? If you go to the grocery store at the wrong time, you can spend 20 minutes looking for one nice piece of produce. Like if you go at the end of the week, I think it's usually Sunday nights. Like that's when. You know, things are really, they've been picked over for four days now or five days. And I looked for an onion for five minutes the other day <laughs> to find one that wasn't black already. Yeah. It, the other thing I did learn, guys, <clears throat> with bananas, somebody at my wife's works, like, you know, if you ever watch, there's always a single, because people peel bananas off, right? And there's always this single banana there, just a bunch of them. And she said, go, when you pick your bananas, Pick the single bananas because you can usually pick them at different. Oh, it's not a bunch that's all sure. at the same ripeness. You can pick single bananas that are all at different ripeness, so they're all not going to go bad. And apparently, single bananas get tossed. The grocery store tosses them. I'm sure. So because they now we're on a single banana kick of. Well, they assume no one's going to buy them because right. if you wouldn't have told me that, I would have never thought to pick the single banana. But I thought like the ripeness was pretty cool because we get like. A bunch of bananas and three of them go bad at the same time, and it's yep. like, dang it! No, that makes a lot of sense. So, buy single bananas. Uh, avocados, I've decided, are the the worst like fruit or vegetable to buy because it's like they're super hard. They're super hard. They're super hard. They're not ready. You go downstairs, you go to bed for the night, you come up the next morning, you grab the avocado, and it's mush and it's moldy and it's gross, and you're like, what the heck? <laughs> they turn so fast. There's like two hours where they're good. <laughs> Find that two hours max. That two hour, I, yep. You have to stay up all night and just keep touching your avocado. And then, then one forty-five in the morning, you're just like guac time, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Here it is. Nothing wrong with one forty-five guac. Catch me, catch me at two o'clock in the morning, just smashing a bowl of guac. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll do it for food waste. Now let's move into our egg history minute. I love that banjo music as you roll down the river. All right. So what year do you guys think was the year we hit 96% of corn acreage planted with hybrid seeds? How long ago do you think that was? I would say 1980. All right. Max, get a guess. Um, I looked at a bill from the feed mill that my grandpa got in 1971. And that was all hybrids, so it's got to be at, at least before 71 is my guess. As far as I can tell, it was all hybrids, so I'm going to go 1970. All right. I'll go ahead of that. I'll go to the 50s. 1960. Nice. That year we hit right. 96% hybrid seed. So within the last 70 years or so, it's been at least there, uh, and we hit hit a peak there in the 1960s. So I thought that was an interesting fact for today as we talk about GMO seeds and, and CRISPR and all that other stuff, 
um, hybrids have been around for for quite a while already, and we're still using them today. So, didn't say what the average production of that hybrid seed was. I'd be curious to know. Four what. bushel. <laughs> no, I had to be better than that. No, I I don't know what the the average production was, but I'm guessing it not, being the 1960s, it probably was not as good as today. No. You think they're at a hundred hundred bushel? No. Not yet, no, not in the 60s. Wow. Wow, that hurts. Yeah. No, maybe maybe the late 80s. But I guess when I think about it, like, I don't think of 200 bushel as that, that impressive. I think that's a pretty attainable goal for most people. My grandpa, when I told him the corn near his house was going to go 200 bushel a couple of years ago, he could not believe it. it. No, he was like, there's no way. That's not possible. It's, it's, it's not a thing. I was like, it, you'd be surprised. Myth busted. All right, Todd. Tell us a little about NAICC. For those of you out there that like what you're hearing and want to go find an independent crop consultant, go to naicc.org, and there you'll be able to find a crop consultant in your area. All right. Next up, we get cool beans or that's corny. Cool beans? Cool Cool beans. beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right. Today's cool beans. The 2018 Farm Bill is helping increase hoof and mouth vaccine supply. So apparently a lot of the supply was uh, set to expire, and that Farm Bill provided money to, you know, rebuild that stock. I remember in high school that hoof and mouth being a big deal. You know, every once in a while we get outbreaks. Uh, That was the last real big one I remember. How different is hoof and mouth from hand, foot, and mouth? Uh, it's the bovine like, version of it. But it's like the same kind of kind of deal. I don't think it's exactly the same. Hand, foot, and mouth is not fun, though. Because I remember my brother having hand, foot, and oh, mouth. Yeah. Kids get that all the time. It's not cool. And my dad always said he had hoof and mouth. And I was like, I don't think that's what it's called, Dad. <laughs> well, maybe your brother is part animal. Could be. Maybe he has hooves. I don't know. It is crazy how much they said the agency goal to invest between 15 and 30 million, which seems like a big range and a lot of money just sitting around, but that's probably good money spent so that we can, yeah, if there is an outbreak, we'd have something to. I remember the last major one. If you traveled, you had to stay out of the barn for 10 days. Uh, Because I remember my friend who lived on a dairy farm was never happier. Because he was told, had a legitimate reason to tell his dad why he couldn't go out in the barn for ten days. <laughs> like if you traveled out of the state, out of the county, out of the country, uh, mostly across country borders. So if you went into Canada, or um, but even I think if there were specific states that had issues, you probably would have that same restriction. So. Yeah. And that's corny for this week is. Coronavirus fears are hurting commodities. So obviously I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard of the coronavirus and know it has nothing to do with the beer. Darn. If you've Maybe that's good, though. been to the Wuhan province of China or know anyone who has, uh, be on the lookout. But uh, fears like this, you know, possible epidemics or pandemics tend to lead to markets reacting and that's what they're doing on commodities so we were you know we've been talking trade deals and having hope there and now this comes along and cuts the the legs right out from under you again so i'm i'm not a doctor 
nor will I ever claim to be. Um, but I was reading about the coronavirus yesterday, and I don't. It doesn't sound like it's like terrible, right? I mean, am I wrong here, or is it's, it? It's it's respiratory. So it sounds like the flu. I mean, they it was like eighty one people died from it in but it's, it's China, not, so it's not like it's it's not it's more people than SARS, right? It's, it's which is kind of crazy to think about. To sneeze what, at, no pun no. intended, but but it's not it's not like these super Ebola, viruses that right, they make yeah. up or that are in movies where it's like. If you breathe the same air, you're dead within six hours. Like, it's not like that. No. No. Okay. Crazy. It's a wild world. All right. Next up, we'll talk about you applied what? What did you do? So, as usual, we got four uh, different products here and you guys left to guess which one does not belong which one of these things is not like the other and so this week we've got trillin trigger trust and tree flan so any guesses i'm gonna go trillin is the odd one out okay i know trust and treflan are the same i'm gonna say trigger i'll go I'll go trigger too. All right, Bill and Todd, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Ooh, Finally, it's been like weeks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> trigger is clethodim. Uh, the other three, Trillin, Trust, and Treeflan, are trifluorin, which is a pre-emergence herbicide. Nice. So good work. Good job, boys. It's about time. Pretty impressive. All right. So next, we've got outstanding in our field. We've got a. Uh, New Yorker this week, so Naka. How do you do that? How do you do the, the Eastern accent? The Naka. New York. Naka. All right, should we I'll, dial them I'll up? Dial them up. All right. Hello. Hi, is this Dairy? Yeah, you got Dairy. Dairy moneymaker. Yep, that's me. Uh, do you get a lot of jokes about your last name, Derry? Ah, forget about it. Ah, forget about it. Oh, God. All right, so, Derry, can you tell us a little bit about your operation? Yeah, so I'm a farmer. I run, a, run some books, too, over here in New York. I, uh, I got some, about 100 head of cattle. What kind of books? Like Clifford and... And, uh, and the big school. red dog. The big yeah. red dog? What do you do kind I, of books you got? Do I sound like the kind of guy who <laughs> hangs out with a big red dog to you? Uh, yeah, actually, you do. Uh, no, I run uh, run gambling books. Oh, oh! What you betting on this week? Uh, what is what what is everybody betting on this week? Oh. The Super Bowl. Come on! Can you say Super Bowl, Derry? Uh, Thought that was trademarked. It is, but who cares? It's your show, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Derry, I see that uh, they got the Chiefs, you, or you have the Chiefs as a one and a half point favorite. So, uh, can you can you walk me through how you chose that line, or? Well, you know, you got Patty Mahomes. He's he's in there, and we're looking at it as a potential Chiefs edge, just because there's questions about Jimmy G after the national uh, <clears throat> NFC Championship game. You know, how's he going to do? Can they rely on the run game? So, we're giving the Chiefs a little bit of an edge there. All right, all right. And fifty-four and a half is the over/under. You got to you got to take the over on this one, right, boys? You gotta. Uh. Two most There's explosive two big offenses scoring in the teams. NFL. Yeah. What are you taking, Derry? Oh, I'm taking the over. 
Oh, yeah. Always, take the, always take the over. I I think the 49ers defense is going to shut shut down Patty. Really? Yeah. You're the only one, pal. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to lose then. All right. And then Derry, you said that you said that you're a you're a dairy farmer. Obviously. Um do you do you sell to a cheese plant or how does that work? Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. most of my milk goes to cheese. Uh, uh we're, we're the number 4 state in cheese over here. Uh, number three in milk production, so you know we 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 put a lot of milk out. Most of mine goes to cheese. Do you have a clue as to what kind of cheese? A formaggio, mozzarella. Yeah, mozzarella, a little bit of cheddar. You know, throw oh, on that yeah, New York big pizza. Cheddar. I like the cheddar. You like the cheddar, yeah? Money maker. You're the big cheese over there, dairy. Oh yeah, I'm the cheese guy. The big cheese and the big apple, huh? I like bringing in the cheese. So it's a good good fit for me. I work with a lot of cheese. You know what I mean. Uh, Matt, you got any questions for Dairy before we let him go here? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. All right. Well, thanks, Dairy. Uh, it was great to have you on. Uh, I hope your book does really well this weekend. Yeah. Well, thank you, boys. Uh, good luck if any of you are the betting types. All right. Thanks, Dairy. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Well, there you go. It's, uh, that guy was pretty funny. He was good. Dairy the money maker farms dairy and runs books on the side. Run the wow. books, yeah. Well, Max, wow. where are you finding these guys? Listen, I spend <laughs> I spend a lot of time on online forums, right? Yeah, and that you know you, you you just scroll through, you find a name that sounds really interesting, and you follow that lead, and then you just go from there. His parents knew exactly what he wanted to do for a living. Yep, so far it's working out for him. So it sounds like that anyway. We'll see. You know, big if there's a if there's a big under this weekend, things could change. You betcha. All right, well, that'll do it for this week. We talked about five ways to plan ahead for spring. Spotlight was some food, talking about food waste. Egg History Minute, 1960s, when we hit the point where we were almost 100% of our acreage planted with hybrid corn. Cool Beans was 2018 Farm Bill, doing some good stuff with vaccine supplies for cows. That's corny, was the coronavirus. You applied what? We talked about some pre-emerges. And outstanding in our field, we got to meet Dairy Moneymaker. So, all right. Thanks for being here, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Matt. Thanks, Matt. And as always, happy farming.